In a world where heresy blankets the airwaves, religious stuffed shirts suck the life out of Sunday morning, and prosperity teachers rob grandmothers of their pensions, three unassuming ministers endeavor to shine the light of biblical theology and put the fun back in fundamentalism. Broadcasting live from the Hall of Dogma... Brought to you this week by Mario Kart, Nintendo, and the Commodore. Welcome into episode 64 <laughs> of the Gospel Friends. I am Reverend Verbage. Well done. I'm Chase Thompson, and, and uh, I was going to call you out if you didn't say Commodore, but you did. Good on you. Good job. I'm Nick, and uh, caught me off guard with that one, but very good job. Did either one of you guys have a Commodore 64? I, I had two. Did you really? I wore one out, and I had the little uh, 1541 floppy disk drive, which was yeah. about 20 pounds and about this big, this thick, yep. and I wore that sucker out. I had a, Do you have a dot matrix printer to go along with it? Yes. <laughs> was that noise? <laughs> My goodness. Man, that was some good days. I had a, so I did, I had a word processor. I had a flight control game, like a flight simulator game for nice. um, like F-16s and uh, – I mean, I don't even remember if there was anything. Uh, Tetris. Yep. That was about the three things that was on. And you hooked that sucker up to a TV, a regular box TV. By the way, Mario, uh, speaking of the uh, Nintendo 64, I I consider the best game ever made uh, to have found its home on the Nintendo 64. Goldeneye. Goldeneye. Yep. Uh, Call back to like three episodes ago. And that has intrigued me. I wish I had played that because you you guys mentioned it was so good. It's amazing. Uh, so yeah, we had uh, I had a N sixty four. We Mario Kart was one of my favorite games. Plus the Super Mario on there, the Mario. I, forgot, I guess it was Super Mario World or something like I think that. It was Mario know. World. I think so. Uh, it was a great game. So anyway, it was one of the first consoles where they went open world rather than side scroller, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it really expanded. <laughs> yeah, and he could he could go in and you know do cartwheels and yep. kind of brilliant game three D. Um, there was also a great wrestling game on there too. It was a tremendous uh, WWF wrestling was game. Was it on a there. THQ? The In THQ the, game, yeah. Oh, where you yes. you would do uh, you'd wiggle the yellow stick for the special move. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude, I love that game, man. Yeah. And they had one for WCW. It was like an NWO game as well, and um, pretty you know for back then it seemed like great graphics for the. Yes. Yeah. For, I remember for those characters came out with their their wrestling game. It was. Oh, I had the PlayStation yeah. one too. I, I want to say you would do the Stone Cold Stunner on somebody, and it, there would be like a kind of a breaking glass sound, and the screen would go red, <laughs> and I, you could do it over that. and yeah. over and over and over again. I forgot about my pl- oh, original PlayStation. I had a orig- I had PlayStation, PlayStation Two. You know, my favorite game on PlayStation Two. This will show my uh, carnal years. Strawberry Shortcake, Grand Theft Auto. Oh, <laughs> wow. I think it was Grand Theft Auto 2. Wow. You are a sinner. You are today's sinner of I the I blame week. my brother-in-law because when I got the PlayStation 2, I didn't know what games to get. And we were at the – he said, oh, that, that game would be great. And um, so got I got David it, Hicks. Yeah, and, and played it and enjoyed it. And uh, today I, I probably couldn't because I have more morals. I think it's gotten worse. Well, I'm glad to hear you have more morals. Less humility, more morals. That's that's good. <laughs> it's a good step in the right direction. Good catch there, Chase. All that right. is awesome. I'm just keeping it real. Welcome into episode 64 of the Gospel Friends. We have uh, in just a few minutes. What, I so thought you were just about to start over. I started over that now. <laughs> what were you thinking uh, coming up? We also have um, a special guest in just a few minutes, hopefully. 
from Stand to Reason, Brett Kunkel, who is the student impact director at Stand to Reason, and uh, been actually trying to get Brett on for a while and haven't been able to work our schedules out. Uh, I am in particular looking forward to your questions for Mr. Kunkel, <laughs> David. Those are listeners. Stay tuned for that part. It's going to be riveting. Well, my plan is actually to, uh, you know, I don't know how much I'll I'll speak because I'm going to be generating the questions behind the scenes and just oh, handing oh, them, handing them to you master. guys. Well, you guys know. I mean, I don't like to talk all the time. On, okay, well, on the show. <laughs> I mean, I. It's important for me to allow you guys to have an opportunity to speak as well. Well, let me give you an. So axiom. anyway, I, we're going to do that, and then we're going to. If gonna... you don't hear Rev verbiage, he's not here. That's how that works. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, silence means absence. That that's always the case with me. Generally, I will say, like you know, typically during the shows, I actually stay for the whole show. You guys move in and out, and it's, and nobody ever knows it. Uh, that's true. We we, we do. We I do. guess that that helps your point. Well, I'm a heavy drinker. That you can so, actually uh, leave the room hmm. and come back, and no one even knows you're gone because no. I'm I'm still talking. That's right. I take advantage of that fact. Nick, how, how are you doing, buddy? You doing all right? So far, so good. Did we get any? Uh, we got any customer customer feedback? <laughs> <laughs> we have. Any, that could go the way, so many directions. I, I have a question. I I, I continue seeing people uh, posting pictures with their t-shirts on their gospel friends t-shirts. Yeah. Um, did we ever start collecting money for these shirts? Or we, we have some of them. We have okay, so we do. Why y'all gave away? We didn't. <laughs> um, well, look. To be fair, again, I saw messages that were like, "Hey, got my shirt. Let me know how to pay you." So I well. So in fairness, um, Tony asked me for one, and um, he asked me via Facebook Messenger, which is not my best way of communicating. Um, I try to avoid Facebook. Um, I have the groups app on my phone, so I can kind of keep up with the Hall of Dogma a little bit. Um, and he asked me via there, which caused some some delays. And um, another listener, and I've, I've, the name is slipping my mind, emailed the Gospel Friends account, and I don't check that as often as I should. Okay. And typically, you guys kind of check it, and somebody will forward out the messages. And so um, there's some time that went by, and so I tried to just hook those guys up. Somebody had a birthday. Tony has, I think it was, was it Tony's birthday? Yeah. And so Happy between birthday. between the birthday and kind of what all Tony's done and being part of the show and um, part of the, the Hall of Dogma community, I just say hey, you, you deserved know it. Love so, you, bro. Appreciate you. We need you. to send a few of those shirts across the pond. So um, I'll let you pay the post. Yeah, I was going to say that's that's going <laughs> crikey. Um, so if you if you want a if you want a t shirt, you yeah. can contact us, email the Gospel Friends, <laughs> and hopefully somebody will check the email box yeah. and let me know. Thegospelfriends at gmail dot com. You, you can get us on the Twitter. At my gospel friends on Twitter, you can also um, uh, you know, we have our Facebook group, the um, Hall of Dogma, which you can reach at hallofdogma.com. Uh, probably not the best way to let us know you want a shirt. Although if you go in there and you know post a post about the shirt, we'll probably see it. But I'd say if you want a shirt, probably best way is going to be email or uh, um, I'll reply back a Twitter message. Um, we've got a PayPal set up. And- we have a, we have a, a voicemail. And we can hear from our listeners, yep. not our customers. Yes. Uh, hey, before so, we play that, you know, I just realized something. Um, and and hey, I, I know if I don't say this, I might just not. jump on in here. Yeah, I'm, go- I'm gonna. Uh, we didn't get a Hop shout along. out to um, the benefactor last episode, and that always goes poorly for us when we don't shout out one of the Martin boys. The benefactor Nathan Martin, who um, brother of Jeremiah, is. Uh, yeah, yeah, by the way. 
He's going to get can, his shout out in a couple. Can of I give you? Can I give you some advice? I'd love oh, to boy. hear some advice for you, David. <laughs> I, in fact, I'm sitting here with bated breath. <laughs> I, I want to give you. Let me just help you. Um, help me help you. Let me help you catch the pulse of the audience. Please, please. I I don't apparently like brother brother combos, sister combos. Yep. If you shout out one, yeah, for a purpose. Uh-huh. I don't know that the other one enjoys being shouted out just because of the sibling connection. Well, what do you know about twins and, and siblings? <laughs> I know nothing. I'm an only child. That's what I thought. I know okay. that's shocking for a lot of people. Okay, so we are shouting out Nathan Martin, who is coming to the Hall of Dogma Church, hopefully next month. That's going to be fantastic. And, um, and Also, Aaron Disney, who we haven't shouted out in forever, but um, has just posted a, a picture in the Hall of Dogma. That's great. <laughs> I'm sorry. I got I got distracted you by the, the rooster on top of your head. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey. Okay. Uh, Hello, where man. was I before Chase uh, interrupted me? So we have um, some feedback, an update of sorts from a – Oh, I got one more thing. <laughs> well, we're just no, going to let I'll just, I'll just let it slide. I'm you. really about to turn your microphone off. Dang All right. It. Why are you adjusting your pants? I'm, uh, <laughs> he, he asked hey, David, not can, Chase. Can people not? I mean, do things. It's a, it's a it's an audio podcast. Why do we have to tell everybody what we're doing? Chase, quit picking your nose. I'm not. Oh well, prove it. Uh, oh, dang. There's <laughs> yeah, really see? no way. There you go. All right, Nick. Hi guys, it's me again. It's Barbara McQuillan. Um, I was just calling to let you guys know that we didn't get to stay in New York. Um, Bobby was having trouble finding employment in New York City, so we moved back to Saskatoon. And now we're in Saskatoon, and he's back in doing potash. So um, if you would, leave leave a message with David McConnell. I know he had his heart set on coming up and, and preaching up in New York City, but... But it's not going to happen because we're back in Saskatoon. So, see ya! Okay, so trivia question. <laughs> Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, was the site of this particular WWF wrestler's first world championship victory. I'm also going to say Bret Hart. Uh, over Ric Flair in, uh, I think, around 92. It was Bret Hart's first world nice. championship. Nice. How about that? Home of the Rough Riders. And it did not happen on a pay-per-view. It was just a um, it was a house show. Wow. They wanted to give Bret the belt, so they gave it to him. And then they just told it about it on television later. One was of the uh, Maybe the one of the only modern era championship title changes uh, wasn't on the air, wasn't on television or anything. That's good. Well, congratulations, Barbara. You're living in a, a place where real, actually, history happened. That's got to be very special. I think so. If Actual you history in a made-up sport. Oh. oh. Still happened. Ooh, I tell you, call, call oh, wrestling. Wrestling is fake? Call wrestling fake to a wrestler. Yeah, see how that goes. And see how that goes for you. They will stomp a mud hole in you. Hey, before we get to um, the uh, more they'll probably s- offer to sell me a shirt is what they'll probably do. <laughs> well, that's what we do on the Gospel Friends. Yep. <laughs> How do they get those shirts again, Dave? Lee County, Florida. As is we a lot move, better than Lee County, Alabama. As we, is what I got wow, to say. Wow, War Eagle, nothing. War Nothing. <laughs> it is almost college football time, and uh, we're going to try to dial it back just so, for another I know week. He's, but, nobody's counting on it, but Barnett apparently had a great showing at open practice today. 
That's good to hear. Those are your world's Barnett. That's your JV quarterback. He had um, he had two nice twenty five thirty yard. Hey, all you Michigan in seven on seven Ohio State nice. fans. One was rolling out of the pocket. West Virginia fans, Florida fans. I am rolling my eyes with you as we listen to the Alabama homers. I'm really only keeping on just to annoy you. All of them, I'd love. I'd love to talk football with the rest of them. What were you thinking? What were you thinking, Lee County, Florida? Malzahn and going to Auburn. Oh, I have a cool story about that for you later. Actually, what? What? what, Do you remember the day that Gus Malzahn got hired and a couple of the Alabama guys out here in the uh, Hall of Dalma Church were celebrating and said that that I love love that hire. That is, I do remember that. Do you remember what I told you about that hire? Uh, you you said you did not join with them. I was not happy about no, that. You did not no. join with them. I remember I was. You giddy. said it was interesting because he was chosen over Kirby Smart. You said it was an interesting hire. Yeah, but no, I was giddy that you fainted like a girl <laughs> um, at the hire, and that was pretty funny to me. Yeah, I, I will admit I I questioned whether or not he was a better hire than Kirby Smart or not. Oh no, I don't. Today, no doubt, obviously, but. Can we go to Lee County, Florida, or not? Okay, Are you ahead. girls ready? We're di- Wait, what? Okay, Lee County, Florida. What were you thinking, the segment where we take a look at the world around us and what are crazy, crazy people doing? <laughs> and, and I'm glad you off. finally called that segment for what it is. Don't turn it off yet, because we're in just a second, we're going to tell you how to live to be 100. But first, mm-hmm. Lee County, Florida, desperate suspect, desperate suspect tries to chew off his fingerprints to avoid being identified. Oh, my gosh. Are you serious? Yeah, this is disturbing. Chew off all of them? Yeah. Lee County Ugh. Sheriff's Office in Florida recently released one of the strangest, most disturbing videos ever. Shows a young suspect trying to chew off his fingertips in a bid to avoid being identified by police. That's awful. Did yeah, it work? There he is. And it's not the video. It's just oh, he's really doing it. It's no, a picture is. of him doing it. No, so, so he um, he had a apparently he had, had some type of a record <laughs> and uh, had a hidden firearm. Uh, they took him into custody, and so he was in the back of the patrol car, and the video in the patrol car captures him trying to chew off his fingertips and, and rub them against the cage, trying to get his fingerprints wow. off. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, however, the uh, pain that he inflicted was um, all for naught because the fingerprint scanner at the police station was... Worked like a champ. Yeah, still worked. That's, uh, that's pretty desperate. I, in the last episode, we talked about um, the judge who gave the choice... Um, Marriage get married or, or 15 days in jail. So I, I don't know how much time. I mean, this guy had some felonies. He had two felony warrants out. So I guess he's going to jail for a while. But jail must be bad. I mean, I've never been. I've never been. But jail must be bad if you want to chew your fingertips off to avoid getting there. I mean, I don't think it's good. Would you Would you attempt well, let, to let me, let remove you your how, fingerprints in order to avoid jail time? I would handle this situation how I've handled it in the past at least four or five times. <laughs> and, and let me it, just kind of give you a pro tip out there. Kenzo Roberts uh, and other thieves like him wear gloves. Problem solved? Wear Thank gloves. you for contributing to hey. the delinquency of. This is educational and entertaining. I'm not sure the gloves would have worked in this case because they probably would have figured out to take them off and fingerprint him. No, no. Wear gloves when you're committing the crime. Uh, I, I should have clarified. Okay. Okay. That's the point where you wear gloves. All right. Chase's daily crime tip. Uh, how to avoid hey, getting caught. Number one's off to a good start. How to live to be... Uh, by the way, have any of you seen Home? The Pixar movie? The new Pixar movie? I have not. No. Okay. So there's these little... Is Home and Pixar movie or DreamWorks? 
You know, I said Pixar in my recent sermon, but I think it I think you're wrong. could be DreamWorks. Okay. Is this the story you started off the sermon with today? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. All right, so there's the <laughs> – look, there's these little aliens called the Boov, and the Boov, it comes out in the uh, movie. They do number one, they do number one, number two, and number three. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> You didn't say that in the sermon today. No, so he's What's talking, number three? He's talking to this the, this human girl, and she says, I have to go to the bathroom. And he said, number one or number two? And she said, number one. And he says, oh. And he says, Boov have number one, number two, just like you, but we also have number three. <laughs> and he says, he says, um, he said, you would not want to be around if, if I did number three. <laughs> he said, he, he, he's, we only do it once a year. And he said, it's not really a holiday, but it takes all day. <laughs> Well, that was, again, that was entertaining and edifying. I, I feel like I've really learned a lot about alien uh, biology. <laughs> that was the whole point of the story, right? Okay, the telegraph from this lady uh, is actually in New Jersey. Here, here's something edifying, encouraging, and very helpful. Awesome. For real. The gospel friends are going to tell you how to live to be 100. <laughs> Do more number threes. Agnes. <laughs> Thank you very much. Agnes, probably just learn about number three. Agnes Fenton from New Jersey turned oh, 110 years old at the beginning of August. She is now among a small number of so-called super centurions, if I'm saying that right, around the world. But whereas regular exercise and a uh, regular exercise and a balanced diet are usually attributed to reaching such an age, Miss Fenton has relied on more unusual techniques. For nearly 70 years, she has knocked back three Miller High Lifes and a shot of scotch every day. (laughs) Following the advice of a doctor who treated her for a benign tumor in the 1930s. (laughs) That is awesome. Hey, it's hard to argue with the evidence. Agnes Fenton says three beers and a shot of whiskey will help you to live a long life. Now she does say that sounds totally reasonable. Now here, here we go. Miss um, Miss Fenton has been urged to abandon her daily tonic by her um, by her more recent doctors. At least probably uh, just because she eats so little that um, they do not fear she can handle her alcohol anymore. Hmm. She says, "Ain't no secret. Just keep in touch with God and do the right thing. That's all I know." Plus the the three beers plus and whiskey. three Miller High Lifes. And a uh, Johnny Walker Blue Label whiskey. Dang. Okay. It's not quite as good as Red Label, though, is it? Or is Blue Label label better? It says her whiskey of choice is Johnny Walker Blue Label, which costs up to $150 per bottle. Yeah, Blue Label the better one. Okay. Yeah, Blue Label. Yeah, wow. So it's a remarkably good whiskey. Huh. I've never had a... uh, I think that's what Leo drank. Miller High Life. Is that not kind kind of a cheap beer? It's not the cheapest. Uh, I mean, it's not Natty Lighter Pass Blue Ribbon by him. Can you can you imagine your your grandmother? I don't know how old your grandmothers lived to be, but or if they're still alive. But can you imagine your ninety year old granny? You walking in, and she's just propped back in the recliner drinking a Miller. Uh, that, that's difficult for me to imagine. My grandmother drank uh, Paps Blue Ribbon, so I, I never saw a Miller in okay. her hand. Well, there you go. Is that an alcohol? Yeah, I've never heard of. I'm, You've never heard PBR? of PBR, guys. Listen, I am really. I'm not into. What are you, some sort of pastor? I'm not into anything but beer. 
Well, it is a beer. It's a, well, that's a sound clip, but that, I'm, I'm into more things. I'm, in, I'm into more things. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a pastor. I'm, I'm not, not into, into anything <laughs> more than beer. I, I, and title. I do like other things besides beer, but I'm saying alcohol-wise, I don't care for anything beyond beer. Once again, PBR is a is a beer. Isn't? Oh, I wasn't listening when you said that. Okay, well, PBR is a beer. For the third time, it is a beer. Oh, I've never heard of that. Is it good beer? How have you never heard of Pabst Blue Ribbon? I don't know. I just never have. Well, it's an award winner. It does have a blue ribbon right Look, there on the can. When people when people say we've won awards, I, I, I tend to not pay attention to that. It's been around since 1844. It's almost as uh, long as Agnes Fenton. <laughs> almost. Okay, well, I want to try some. Is it a, now, is it a very light beer or a dark beer? Um, Do you all know? Have you all ever had lager. one? Have you ever had one? Uh, yeah, yeah. Right, now, if it's a dark lager, I would like it. I need to try some. I, look, I don't know anything hey, about beer. Y'all, y'all, I don't know if it's a lager or not. Uh, you only drink six Maybe beers a, a year. it's a Pilsner. Isn't that right? About. <laughs> about <laughs> or so. About. On average. Yeah, yeah. that's about right. On so, average. That average. <laughs> can I say that average? How old are you, Chase? Can I say that it average? It is a lager, by the way. Is, I was uh, right. Okay. Can I say that average has... Um, that th- you may have you have may have upset that average this year. Well, because somebody <laughs> keeps bringing beer to the podcast. I would say, in the although past, I haven't had one. Hey, but he is a pastor. Okay. Well. Ah, <laughs> uh, well. Okay. okay. This is great, Agnes Fenton. Congratulations. You know who's going to love being on this show? Brett, Brett Kunkel. Kunkel. Okay, now this is time for one of those uh, big grinding gear shifts that the podcast is known for. We're going from the silly to the serious. Hope you have your seatbelt on. Yes, please please buckle up. We are uh, very privileged to have Brett Kunkel join us. Brett is uh, one of the foremost apologetic minds in uh, the United States of America. He works at Stand to Reason, which I hope you've listened to their podcast before. It is an excellent one, and it is an excellent resource overall for apologetics. Brett is the student impact director. He uh, has worked with uh, junior high, high school, college kids for uh, almost 20 years. He has a bachelor's degree from Biola University and a master's degree in philosophy, religion, and ethics from Talbot School of Theology. So he's got the academic chops to talk about all this kind of good stuff. So, Brett, I've just highlighted the uh, the main things about you. Tell us the uh, tell us the meat. What are you passionate about? Who are you? Well, I, uh, I'd grown up in the church. Uh, my parents uh, came to Christ when I was just a baby. So I had the privilege of growing up in the church, was uh, in some very good churches. Uh, grew up on the East Coast, moved out to Southern California when I was in junior high. Uh, grew up at, in a, a solid youth group, had a youth pastor who was a huge mentor to me. Actually encouraged me to go into ministry. So my junior year in high school, I decide I'm, I'm giving my life to full-time ministry. And then I go off to uh, college after, you know, 18 years in the church, go off to college, and I meet a philosophy professor, Dr. David Lane, in Philosophy 101, and he just dismantles me. Mm. Um, and, uh, and so that was a huge wake-up call. It helped me discover through his challenge. Uh, it helped me discover apologetics. It helped me discover the life of the mind. It helped me discover how to love God, not with just my heart and my emotions and my affections, but with my mind as well. And so that's kind of what launched me into uh, you know, apologetics. And so I was, I was doing youth ministry, and I realized, gosh, I'm working with junior hires, high, schools, high schoolers, college students. 
I realized they're going to they're going to go off to college and have a similar experience to me. They're going to get challenged and I I want to make sure they're equipped. And so I just started figuring out, okay, how do I get this training and this teaching into my young people? And um and did that for 11 years and then after I uh, just thought, man, I want to do more teaching. This is just such vital stuff that the church needs to, you know, equip its, you know, its people with. It's particularly its young people. And so, uh, let's see. I guess it was twelve years ago. Joined Stand to Reason to do this on a full time basis, and really to kind of take what we're doing at Stand to Reason, which is to equip the church to think carefully, to know what we believe, what, why we believe it, and to be able to articulate that intelligently, but also graciously, and just do that same thing with youth. And so, I've been the student impact director there for about twelve years now, and uh, that's kind of uh, kind of launched me into it was uh, just being in youth ministry. Brett, this is David. First of all, I want to give a. Uh, I also want to give a shout out to because uh, I think he would be upset if we didn't to uh, Nathan Martin. The uh, we know him around here as the benefactor, and the Nathan, incessant benefactor. Yeah, the incessant. Nathan, Nathan helped put this uh, put this together and having you on the show. So we're appreciative of him. Uh, this is a you know kind of a question that I have as uh, I served. Uh, for years as a youth pastor and kind of college pastor. And that was one of my great concerns as I saw, you know, this youth group moving out of what I felt was kind of a protective bubble and moving into some of these, um, the different college campuses here in Alabama um, and hearing stories about some of the professors who it seemed were, were going to try to kind of dismantle those belief systems. And I actually had that happen to several students. So we started doing, and, and Nick was working with me, we started trying to do some basic apologetics with the kids um, to prepare them. And one of the things that we ran into, quite honestly, was kind of a lack of interest. It, it seemed like it was really difficult, and maybe it was on us, um, a lot of it was on us, but but it seemed like it was very difficult to help them understand why this was important. Uh, yeah. So so w- you know, for you, obviously, I'm sure you've met that challenge as well. How how do you try to connect to those students that you know how this is relevant to them? Yeah, well, I think that is a big problem: is the apathy within the church, particularly amongst church kids. And I think there's a number of different ways we can kind of go at that. But what I would do, uh, uh, number one, is I I would expose my students uh, to people who didn't believe what I believed. Uh, So when I would do, so when I was doing junior high ministry in Southern California, we would do a series on world religion. And, uh, but uh, what we would do is we kind of do like three weeks and uh, of teaching. So I would teach on like, let's say Buddhism. And I would spend the first week saying, hey, here's what Buddhists believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second week would be like maybe a biblical critique. Okay, how does this match up with the Christian worldview? How does this match up with Scripture? And then the third week might be a kind of an apologetic or philosophical critique. Here are the problems with Buddhism. But then what we would have lined up on that third week is a, a field trip. And so we had the teaching time, but we kind of let our students know, hey, we got, you got a test coming, Right. And the test is a field trip to the local Buddhist temple. So what I had done before the series is I had called up the uh, local Buddhist temple and said, hey, look, I got 50, 60 uh, junior high kids from my youth group here. We're teaching them about Buddhism. Would love for them to hear from you guys about Buddhism. Would you be willing to you know, uh, host our kids and give them a tour of the temple and, and, and have a monk meet with them and talk with them? And, of course, they're like, yeah, sure, absolutely, bring them down. And uh, so that component of actually interacting with someone, so it wasn't just kind of in Sunday school, behind the church walls, here we are talking about Buddhism, 
But now we're going out, getting out from, uh, you know, behind the church walls. We're actually interacting with people who actually believe this stuff. And what we found with the kids is that they would just come to life on these kind of field trips. And so they would, uh, you know, they would, I mean, it was, of course, it's just, a, you know, a whole different world for them going to a Buddhist temple, seeing these huge idols, uh, you know, talking to the Buddhist monk, being able to ask questions. And afterwards, we would we'd take them out on the lawn in front of the Buddhist temple and we'd just do a debrief. And, man, you couldn't get these little, you know, junior hires to shut up. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and not, of course, that's, I guess, a problem in general. But, um, well, I was going to say. But that, they're talking about theology. They're talking about, you know, they're like, hey, did you, know, did you remember when he said this? And, yeah, I remember we talked about that in the, you know, the first week. And, and they were just really excited. It just all kind of came to life. And I think that's one way to get – to kind of wake students up is to get them out from behind the walls of the church and into the world. And I, I think, you know, what I find is that when people when – when you really start interacting with unbelievers, you start interacting – with, you know, whoever it is, the Buddhist or the, the Mormon or the Muslim or the atheist or the skeptic. This has a way of not letting people be apathetic. And uh, I think so many times the church is just kind of, you know, Christians just spend so much time talking to one another. And, uh, you know, we talk about this idea of the Christian ghetto, right? We get stuck in the Christian ghetto. We're not interacting with people who don't believe what we believe. So we just get really comfortable. So I can go to church every Sunday, you know, sit there. All these people believe what I believe. They're not going to challenge me. I'm not going to challenge them. I get comfortable and I start thinking, oh, yeah, I really know a lot more than I really, you know, than I really do. And so I think one of the ways to break young people out of their apathy, and not just young people, but uh, adults as well, is to get them out into the world interacting with unbelievers. So I think that's a key way to wake them up from their apathy. And, um, you know, one of the things that I've done in my work at Standard Reason, I've, I've added kind of two presentations because, I, you know, I've encountered this. When I go to a Christian school or I go to a youth group or whatever and I talk to a, a group of Christian kids, oftentimes, you know, you can see just the apathy kind of dripping off them. And so I started realizing I've got to figure out them up. And so I, I, I kind of started two new presentations a, f- a number of years ago. One is uh, an atheist role play. And so what I do, and especially if the group doesn't know me, uh, you know, the youth pastor, the leaders will bring me in. They'll introduce me kind of as the real deal, like a local, you know, community college professor. And the kids will think I'm the real atheist. And then I will just give a 10-minute kind of intro about why I'm not a Christian, why I don't believe this stuff, what are the problems with it. And then within the rest of the time, we'll just dialogue. And I'll challenge the students and I'll force them to try to, you know, to defend their faith. Uh, and the other role play that I do is a Mormon role play. So I'll come in as a Mormon, and I will take the Bible, and I will use the Bible to prove Mormonism. And I will force people to use the Bible to defend Orthodox Christianity. And in both of those role plays, I think it, it, it's so valuable because what you help people see is how little they know. Uh, in fact, I've thrown some of these role plays. We've videoed some of these role plays. I have them up on uh, YouTube. Uh, you could just do a YouTube search for, you know, Brett Kunkel, Atheist Role Play, or Mormon Role Play. And you can see how, how much Christians, and I've done them with adults and, and students, you can see how much Christians struggle with this. I mean, and, and it, it's revealing. It helps them see they don't know some of the most basic things about their faith. And 
and, and so often what you have to do is you have to kind of knock people down first to wake them up, to kind of get them out of their apathy and to get them motivated. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. Um, so I, I love the idea of uh, what you were calling the role play. You know, I, I love playing devil's advocates with, with fellow believers that I know, especially if we have some theological difference. You know, a lot, a lot of times it's nuanced, maybe not as diverse as you're describing. But one thought I had is, especially with a youth group setting, did you ever get any pushback or uh, outright um, objection from parents about, yeah. you know, kind of taking their kids into – I know missions trips, you go to places that are – quote-unquote hostile territory but kind of as a part of the youth group yeah oh no, no i did get pushed back you know i i'd announce this series and you know yeah we're taking your kids to the buddhist temple and i'd have parents look at me and go you know you're doing what you know and and they would ask why i'm doing this and so i would have to you know i'd have to kind of help that walk them through the, the the purpose of this and and number one is is kind of giving them a vision for what you know, of discipleship in, uh, of our young people. Like what do we, you know, by the time our, our young people walk out of the doors of the church or, uh, you know, graduate out of our youth ministry or graduate out of our homes, what, what kind of kid do we want to have, uh, do we want to, you know, produce? What kind, of, what kind of life do we want to cultivate? What kind of believer do we want to send out into the world? And so, you know, I would help them see that part of our vision for the discipleship of young people is that we would have confident young people who know what they Mm -hmm. believe, why they believe it, and are not afraid to interact with people who don't believe what they believe. In fact, this is what we're called to do. This is the Great Commission, right? And so this is an essential part of it. And so so that's part of it, is laying out that that vision. But then secondly, helping our our, our parents and adults see that, look, if if they are going to go into the world, and if they are going to, you know, proclaim the gospel, guess what? They're going to get pushed back. Mm. They're going to get people, they're going to run into all kinds of people who don't believe uh, this stuff, who are going to raise objections. And so do we want to wait for our kids to graduate out of our churches and our homes and our ministries and go off to college and encounter those objections for the first time when they're maybe 1,000, 2,000 miles away from us on their own? Or would we rather have them encounter those objections when they're with us where we can walk them through it, we can debrief them, and we can prepare them and so that they're not taken off guard when they go to the college. But no, they, we've been able to carefully walk them through that and help them see uh, you know, the problems with these different worldviews. And so, uh, look, my, he, he, kind of my strategy is not to isolate our kids. It's to inoculate our kids. Mm. Right, it's to give them a dose of those false ideas, so that we can protect them from those false ideas. And so that's yeah, I would definitely get pushed back from parents, and I just have to kind of lay out for them, hey, this is why we're doing this. And uh, and then what we saw is that kids just ate it up. I mean, kids loved it, and um, it was of course not like anything they'd experienced before. Uh, they're learned. They're going much deeper in their faith. They're being challenged, so they're motivated to really know what they believe. I mean, you could hand a kid, you know, you could hand your typical kid in youth group a theology book, a systematic theology book, and say, here, you need to know this stuff. <laughs> and, and that's true. They do need to know that stuff. But how motivated, you know, you're going to get like one out of, you know, 500,000 kids that's actually going to take that book and just read that theology book. But I tell you what, if you put them in front of a Mormon who seems to know the scriptures better than they do and kind of re- them up and down, <laughs> I guarantee you what happens is that kid comes to you and says, okay, give me that theology book. There's this, in, you know, there's this internal motivation now. It's not just you telling them, hey, you need to know this, but now it's internally they're saying, hey, I need to know this. 
And um, so we just would have to kind of, you know, kind of paint that compelling picture for, for parents and leaders. But, you know, I, I've got five kids of my own. And my goal is to prepare them to be ambassadors out there in the world for Christ. And so I want them to hear the arguments from the atheists from me first before they ever get it from their you know atheist uh, professor so that they're ready for it and they're not taken off guard. Yeah. Uh, that's fantastic. It, you know, it sounds like the very opposite of a, a sheltered kind of worldview. Uh, the church we're at, uh, we call it the Hall of Dogma Church, euphemistically, but it's it's you know it's a Baptist church in Alabama. A lot of the people here are homeschooled, and, and a lot of the reason why they homeschool is to quote protect their kids from. You know, worldly influences, worldly philosophy, things like that. Uh, I've got five kids of my own, um, yeah. same as you, uh, and and I, I'm finding, and I think statistically we're finding the the protectionist worldview is is maybe radically failing with all of the kids that you know the church is sending off to colleges and them falling away from the faith. So my question is, do you think a sheltered worldview? Um, that maybe a lot of Christians might have leads to, or at least lends itself to, the extremely high percentage of kids that f- uh, that fall away from the faith during college. Uh, it certainly can. It certainly can. I, I think, um, but I, I think it goes both ways. I think you you can overshelter your kids and never expose them to this stuff, and so that when they go, you know, into the world, they just are totally taken off guard. And, you know, and they, they can walk away. But then you have the other direction as well, where you put them in way young and they, they, they're starting to be influenced by the culture at young, younger and younger ages and you lose them that way, too. And so, um, you know, I, I, I think there's there's danger either way. And now with my own five kids, we've kind of we've kind of gone through a little evolution of our own, my wife and I, about our views on education. And so we had our oldest daughter. Uh, K through sixth grade, she was in in public school, and what we saw, and, and we were really hands on with her. And we, I've been in ministry, and so I mean, we're highly involved in the church. She's grown up through the church, but we saw really from sixth grade some in her life that we weren't happy about. That had to do with not only character and her moral formation, but also just some of her ideas and, and stuff. And we realized, gosh. Um, we need to we we, we kind of need to rethink this whole education thing. And what we, we ended up doing we actually kind of spent nine months just exploring different education models, thinking of what is it to have a Christian view of education? Who is the one who's primarily responsible for the education of our kids? And so, uh, uh, ended up uh, kind of taking a route where we started homeschooling our younger ones. And um, but and so and there was an all there's an appropriate amount of protection that motivated that. I think that's where maybe some, some parents uh, kind of, they get overprotective. Now, I think there's an appropriate amount of protection. But, but the, you, have to, you have to figure out, you have to know up front what your long-term goal is. So let me give you an analogy. I, you know, I live in Southern California. I've, I've surfed you know, almost all my life. And uh, in fact, I just, an hour ago, I was at the beach uh, here in sunny Southern California. Wow, I that's cheating. That's cheating. My kid. <laughs> what was that? That's cheating. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you guys aren't near a beach, are you? Not no. even close. Four uh, and a half sorry, hours. I had to, had to rub, that, rub that in a little bit. But um, no, so I was at the beach and I had my four, yeah, five kids with me. Now, my oldest son's 14. Uh, then my, I've got a daughter who's 12. And 
and a daughter who's eight and a son who's four. And they were all at the beach with me. And my son and my daughter, the 14 and 12-year-old, they get to the beach, they throw their wetsuit on, and they grab their board, and they paddle out. And they paddle out to the lineup where the, you know, kind of your bigger, bigger waves are at, and they surf, right? Now, and that's what I've envisioned, right? That's what I've, I've wanted my kids to do. I want to surf with my kids as they get older. But when they're younger, what did I have to do in order to get them to the point where they could surf? on their own. Well, I, there was an appropriate amount of protection. So my youngest one, he's four right now. I don't just throw him on a board and say, okay, correct, right? And uh, there's an appropriate amount of protection so that he learns how to swim well. He learns to get comfortable in the ocean. He learns to get comfortable on a board. And so there's an appropriate amount of protection. And as he gets older and as he develops skill, I'm going to expose him to more. Ultimately, I will accomplish that goal of having him learn how to surf totally on his own, be able to sit out there in the lineup with me and, and ride waves together, okay? And so appropriate protection at younger ages to actually, you know, prepare them and equip them to, uh, you know, be able to ride, ride the big waves. In the same way, I think that's kind of the model uh, that I'm taking with my kids as we homeschool them. Right now, I'm giving them some appropriate amount of protection so that when they get older, uh, I am going to then equip them to learn how to interact interact with people but if you they can be overwhelmed too young if they're exposed to stuff uh they just don't have the the right equipment mentally spiritually to deal uh, uh appropriate amount of protection is good but that's not the end goal yeah. again the end goal is into the world and so i think with that as our vision kind of at the 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 uh, as the end goal that keeps us from simply saying, okay, protection, 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 protection. And so, yeah, but, you know, so I think, I think um, that's kind of worked it out in our own family. And, and, our, and, and from earliest age, too, you know, we, there's appropriate amount of protection, but we're also exposing to uh, non-Christian ideas uh, along the way. And it's kind of in a, in a way that's a con- kind of controlled environment where we can kind of give them some of those ideas, but they're not overwhelmed by it. Um, and then we can kind of talk through it and debrief them. And but they're not going, you know, they're not they're not uh, fully immersed in the world yet yeah. because we want to ground them first. We want to ground them in what we believe, why we believe it, and we also want to help form their character as well. So that's good. That's good stuff. All right, question. Another question, kind of keeping on down the road of uh, of parenting. When I was, uh, I, I'm in my early 40s. When I was in. Um, a kid. I was raised in the church, uh, baptized early on in, in the youth group. I was a leader uh, of the youth group. I was a leader in the college group. Uh, felt called to ministry after thinking the whole time I was going to have a career in the FBI. Uh, went to seminary, and while I was in seminary, I at the time the the Jesus Seminar guys were really big, and I encountered uh, John Dominic Crossan, Marcus Borg, all of those guys that you know they were claiming various things. Like some of them, the most extreme, were saying Jesus did didn't even exist uh, historic, uh, in history, and, and then others were, uh, you know, just just basically saying most of what we have in the Bible is is not actually said by Jesus. All that kind of stuff, and, and I guess the modern day. Uh, incarnation of that would be the Bart Ehrmans, Elaine Pagels, and and people like that. So my question is: give that 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 teaching, that school of thought, 
um, was a catalyst for me kind of going through a period of significant doubt, not falling away, but but I really wrestled. Yeah. Ultimately, it was the resurrection that uh, God used to bring me back, a, a deep study of the resurrection. But, but along those lines, that was kind of a sophisticated thing. Most parents wouldn't think at all about um, – kind of uh, uh, confronting their kids with sophisticated atheistic scholarship along the lines of a Jesus seminar or a Bart Ehrman or whatever. What's your take on that? How sophisticated should we be with young people considering uh, the the Bart Ehrmans, Elaine Pagels of the world, that sort of thing? Yeah, well, I think the younger you start your kids, the more sophisticated you can get with them. And so... Um, uh, you know, with our own kids, you know, my kids are, are, they are my guinea pigs, right? And so we've done stuff with them at very young ages. In fact, um, you know, I do some unique mission trips where we actually take groups to purposely expose them to atheists. And, uh, and we take groups and, and, and go to Utah and talk to Mormons. And every single one of my kids has gone on those trips with me. In fact, they've gone on multiple trips. And in fact, uh, I, I just did a trip with my home church, with our home youth group, our high schoolers. And so my son and daughter, who are 12 and 14, he's, my son's going into eighth grade, my daughter's going into seventh grade. They both went with us on uh, this recent uh, trip to Berkeley, and they engaged just as much as those high schoolers. And I don't say that to pat myself on the back. I just know, what, here's what I've discovered. As we have given our kids uh, a solid, you know, hopefully a solid basis of, of knowing what they believe and why they believe it, We've been able to expose them stuff at really young ages. And I would say just as a general rule of thumb, the way that kind of the, uh, um, you know, the young minds develop, by the time a kid is in fourth, fifth grade, uh, they should start getting uh, exposure to apologetics because by that time, their mind's, uh, their mind's ability to think abstractly uh, is increasing and they're beginning to reach what, uh, you know, there's a whole a whole kind of model of education called classical education. And if anyone wants a good overview on classical education, simply Google the question, what is classical education? And there's an article that'll pop up. It'll be the very first article by a lady named Susan Weisbauer. Read that article. It'll give you a great overview of of classical education. But classical education kind of divides uh, the training of our young people into kind of three distinct stages. The first one is the grammar stage, and that's where just, you know, young children kind of K through fourth are learning the language of grammar. They're learning language. They're learning how to use language, learning facts. At that age, they're just sponges. Uh, they're, a lot of memorization goes on. But what happens in kind of fourth, fifth grade, kind of between kind of fifth and eighth grade, it's called the logic stage. Yeah. And this is where kids can... They, they ask the why questions. This is why your junior high kids probably bug you because they're always asking why they're pushing back, you know, and they're questioning things. And oftentimes parents will mistakenly take that as them questioning their authority. But this is just what they're naturally doing. This is the development of their mind. And so they're inquisitive. They want to know the logic behind things. They want to know the reason for things. And we got to capitalize on that and, uh, and start giving them the why at those, I think, those young ages. When you do that, then when they're in what we've found with our own kids, we've done that and exposed them to the, the stuff and given them apologetic and, and theological training at young ages. Now in junior high and in high school, I think we're going to be able to give them uh, exposure to very sophisticated arguments. And so like you're saying, we, there's one guy, a, a friend of mine, he's an atheist in the Bay Area. His name is David Fitzgerald. 
and he argues that Jesus doesn't exist. And this guy, I, he knows his stuff. Now, I think his stuff is, uh, his arguments are really bad arguments. But he knows his, argue, his arguments very well. And so he comes out very confident and throws these things out at the kids. And uh, we're ex- able to expose kids to kind of these, some of these sophisticated arguments um, because they've just gotten the, the training. And my own kids have been exposed to that because they've had training at very young ages. So I think your, the, kind of the level of sophistication and challenge that we can expose them to really depends on how well and how young we start training them. And I'd say by fourth fifth grade by fifth grade at minimum they they need to start getting introduced to apologetics and then you just keep taking them kind of deeper in that whole process and then gosh uh you know my you know my 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 son is reading some pretty sophisticated apologetics books right now and again i think it's just because we've been able to start them real young so so here so if i could summarize all that i think what we need to do is we need to raise the bar for our youth and realize they are capable of so much more than we t- typically expect. Right, that's a, it's a good answer. I, I like the idea of raising the bar. I, I like the idea of exposing them in fourth, fifth grade. I, I look. Ninety percent of Christian parents are not at all going to be thinking along the, those lines. They're going to think that 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 would be way beyond uh, their kids' abilities. All right, we, I, got, I think we got time for a couple more questions. Um, let's, let's do the old airplane seat question. Um, it, it, I'll, I'll give you the question, and then I'll, I'll give you my answer to give you a second maybe to think about it. Uh, you're on an airplane. The plane's just landed. You got three minutes. You're sitting next to a college student that uh, knows about Jesus, but uh, is extremely skeptical, has no interest in religion, asks you what you do, and uh, maybe why it's important. And so, in other words, you got three minutes to make an argument. Uh, my question is, what would be your go-to argument? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna basically kind of structure it in four questions. I have four key questions that I want to use to get someone to kind of, you know, to Christianity. And so the first question is, uh, you know, do you believe in truth? Uh, is there truth and can we know it? Uh, and so I want to see just how relativistic this person uh, is thinking. And, uh, of course, if they're relativistic on, on religion, that's going to undermine kind of any argument I make. So I want to kind of maybe establish truth. Now, if they're with me on truth, that there is truth, that there's objective truth and we can know it, then I move to the next question, and the next question is, well, uh, what's, what's the truth about God? Does God exist? And that would be my next step, and I want to see where, what their view of, of God is. And so if they don't believe that God exists, I know that's where I need to start. Because if they don't believe that God exists, well, then it's going to be highly, for them, something like the resurrection of Jesus or miracles or a virgin birth. These are going to just going to be completely, completely implausible. Because there's nothing supernatural. There's no supernatural being. Everything's just natural. And so, uh, so I'll start with, you know, okay, what's your views on God? Do you think that God exists? Do you think there's a supreme being or higher power? Uh, if so, what do, you think, what do you think he, she, it is like? And just kind of find out what their views uh, about God are. Um, the next question would be, okay, if you do believe that God exists, you, believe so, you, ha- you have some kind of theistic view, then the question is, okay, well, does, does God act? Do we have any evidence that this being has kind of reached into time, space, history, and can we detect his action? You know, of course, divine action would be what we call a miracle. So do we have any, any uh, miracle claims? Well, of course, Christianity offers some very big miracle claims. Are there any evidence for those things? 
but in order for God to act, God has to exist. So that's why that, that, that prior question is so important. And so, uh, but then if I can establish not only that God exists, but then God acts, then the next question for me is then, has God spoken? Okay, so if he exists, well, then it's just possible that he acts and he speaks. Well, guess what? This is the claim of many religions, right? Uh, that God has spoken. The Muslims say, hey, he's spoken here in the Quran. Christians are going to say, yeah, he's spoken here in the Bible. And so then I'm going to uh, give an argument for why I think the Bible is, uh, you know, uh, God's word, why, he, why he's, a- he's actually spoken in that. But that would be the kind of the general progression I would go, those four key questions. And I want to first start by asking someone questions about what they believe so I can identify where are they at on this progression. If they, if they don't believe in God, if they're an atheist, I'm not going to start with the Bible is the word of God. Because uh, for many atheists, just that claim is just so implausible, it's hard for them to even hear evidence for the Bible because they don't even think there's a God. Uh, They don't think there's any divine being. So, you know, there there is, of course, in principle, no God speaking if there is no God. And that would be the four kind of key questions I would run through someone, uh, run through with them quickly, kind of identify where they are at, and then that helps me to know where should I start with that person. Right. That, yeah, this is a good deal. In this day and age, preaching to somebody, giving them a five-minute spiel or whatever is is rarely going to work. So getting people talking, asking questions, lo- I love that approach. Love that approach. Yeah, and we found that to be most effective. Like when we do these mission trips and we go on to college campuses and we talk to young people, we we teach uh, Christian students to go to go and approach people with questions first. And what we find is that when we ask questions and we truly are interested in what these people believe and what their answers are, and we spend time listening and not just preaching at them, but listening to what, you know, what's going on and what, what views they have, what's even going on in their own heart, what we find is that people begin to open up and we'll go on to a college campus and we'll introduce ourselves to a perfect stranger who we don't know and they will sit and they will literally sit with us for an hour, an hour and a half and talk about God Jesus, the gospel, the Bible, you know, more, uh, morality, I mean, just all kinds of topics. And so we found that that really helps to open people up when you start with questions. Brilliant. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I, you know, it's that relationship building, and it's what you see, I think, what you see Jesus doing throughout the New Testament, too. So um, it's, it's, a, it's cool to hear feet-on-the-ground stories about it in the modern age. Um, we appreciate you coming on. I wanted yeah, to absolutely. We gave you a little bit of pre-warning for the show, but um, this won't be any surprise for the audience. But um, in keeping with the Gospel Friends tradition, we've got to ask: um, What's your favorite cereal? I mean, this is yeah. This is a deep question. This oh, is it is. Look, <laughs> I've, I've had to think a lot about this one, so I have to qualify this. Um, okay, if if my favorite cereal, if I don't have to worry about you know sugar content, yes, you, know, right. what, you know, all the health things. If I can have one cereal, I'm going straight for Lucky Charms. Okay. All right. That's, all a, right. that's a good choice. It's, we give Lucky Charms about a four out of five spoons, maybe even four and a half out of yeah, spine, it's it's five spoons. It's a classic. Those yeah. marshmallows are hard to beat. Uh, that, that's yeah. good. That's good. You're on our good list. Okay. So, uh, so I'm curious. My question then was what is a cereal that's a five out of five to you guys? I've got to defer to the captain. So here's here's the thing. It's all fun and games until the captain starts talking. We call <laughs> we have nicknames, and so the Gospel Friends motif is a is a parody of you know joke of the Super Friends. Yeah. And so early on when we were beta testing the podcast, we adapted pseudo uh, superhero um, 
monikers, and so Chase is Captain Crunchy because of his love of cereal, and so I got to defer to him on the five star. Or the five All right, spinach, so so five star five star cereals. There's a few of them. I really like Fruit Loops with marshmallows. Uh, I really like Cocoa Krispies. There is a new cereal called Madagascar cereal, which is uh, made by. Um, Malto meal of all people. Are you serious? I'm not kidding. It's a it's it's a resurrected s'mores crunch, which was a wow. fabulous cereal, and it's it's really good. Now, not healthy. Uh, it, if you eat too much of that, you'll be you know 300 plus pounds. But that, those are five stars, five spoon cereals in my book, at least. So you noted the um, obvious theme of our preferred cereals. So you obviously mentioned the health aspect. Is there is there a uh, more health aware cereal we should try? Do I have one? Yeah. Are you uh, even a cereal guy in terms of the health aspect? We yeah. had some fans try to send us what they would consider um, funny, um, healthy cereal. One was holy crap cereal, yep. and the other one was crapola. And <laughs> so uh, <laughs> we didn't know how to take that. But, and they know, weren't very good. They, they weren't great. They were terrible, but. Yeah, well, I think anything, any cereal with a name with the word crap in it is probably not going to be that good. So. <laughs> probably not. Yeah, it was. Anyway, we're going to leave that be. So, um, well, thank you for um, kind of dipping in the intellectual sphere there. And, and thank you for your time in general. This Absolutely. A fascinating conversation. So, oh, yeah. uh, you would mentioned the YouTube channel. Um, I'm going to have that in the show notes. Um, but give us the, the three, four, your preferred places for people to find out more about you, more about the ministry, and if they want to dive deeper uh, yeah. in this subject with you? Uh, you can go to our website. Uh, the ministry is Stand to Reason, and our website is str, stand to reason, str.org. Okay. And uh, that's our, our main website. You'll find information there about what we do. We've got all kinds of resources on there, uh, different podcasts, different articles, okay, different videos. And then we also put together um, a website for youth, really to kind of answer those four key questions that I had laid out. Um, uh, because that presents the case for Christianity. And so we, uh, we've kind of taken that and put that on a web page in kind of organizing those four key questions. And if, uh, if young people go to STR Next Gen, as in Next Generation, mm-hmm. uh, strnextgen.com, uh, that'll bring up just uh, some resources for them to help answer those four key questions. Um, we have put together a youth conference. Okay. And uh, it's called the Rethink. Uh, student apologetics conference and we've actually we've been doing it in southern california now this will be our fourth year this fall and so we're actually doing one in dallas and we're hoping to expand to other parts of the country and so that we've got a whole separate website for that it's rethinkapologetics.com and uh and we found that young people are hungry for the truth and we're we're bringing in people who can communicate it well to them, and they're totally responding. And um, awesome. You know, last year we had almost eleven hundred, you know, junior high, high school, and college students out for an apologetics conference. So that's huge. Uh, yeah. So if you could, yeah, we, we could, if you could put rethinkapologetics.com out there, that'd be great. Absolutely, we will do it, man. That's perfect. I love and broken up by by age demographic. Well, um, that's going to do it for this show. Again, Brett, thank you so much for your info. Like I said before, we'll have all this um, linked on thegospelfriends.com, our page. Um, it'll be Brett's information as well as if you want to reach us. So um, we'd love to talk to you. Um, we've got the Twitter, the Hall of Dogma, also our voicemail lines, and you can find all that there. Um, we're going to say goodnight for now, and we'll see you next time. Thank you, Brett, so much. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Good to meet you. Jesus is a friend of mine.
So, trivia question, or oh, trivia yes, answer. Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, was the site of this particular WWF wrestler's first world championship victory over Bret Hart. <laughs> hey, can we, do, can we redo that? <laughs> can you edit that? Are you serious? Yeah. What happened? But if, if y'all listen, you'll, you'll understand the, uh, you'll get the trivia. Okay, go ahead. Okay. So, trivia answer. Question, you mean? Uh, maybe. Okay. Okay, yeah, trivia question. We're having a hard time hey, on this particular can we, segment. Can we edit this? Do it again. <laughs> Hang on. Congratulations. You know who's going to love being on this show? Brett, Brett Kunkel. <laughs> Great. Okay. 2404. I imagine that would be where he's brought in. <laughs> Right there. <laughs> Hello? Hey, Brett. <laughs> I think that would be perfect. At least we should do that. We really should. Oh, God. <laughs> the inmates are running the asylum. Do y'all understand that? I hope he's a Lutheran. If he ever listens to this podcast, he's going to be right after a discussion about blue ribbon beer. 